Welcome to Access Ideas, where we share insights and perspectives that spark curiosity, conversation, and inspiration. I'm Yana, and if you're interested in career transition, transformation, or taking the road less traveled, keep listening, because today I'm speaking with someone who took early retirement at age 55. After a 30-year career in financial services and the not-for-profit sector, Monique Giroux traded in her business suit for hiking boots. She sold her home and 90% of her belongings to pursue a slower-paced, minimalist, nomadic lifestyle. As founder of the Flourishment Collective, Monique is now traveling the world with her partner, sharing stories of hashtag two suitcases, one laptop, and the forest therapy guides she meets along the way. Monique works with diverse clients around the world, and she supports women's retreats and mentors and trains new forest therapy guides. She continues to use her corporate experience as one of the female founders of the climate startup, Homes to Zero, and she consults on partnership and not-for-profit projects. If you're interested in speaking with Monique, I've included her contact information in the show notes, and I highly encourage you to reach out to her. She works with clients to help them slow down and connect with their inner voice and intuition using meditation, forest therapy, yoga nidra, restorative yoga, and Reiki. If you're not familiar with these terms, or they seem a bit out of your comfort zone, you're in good company. Our conversation will explore many of these practices. And now I bring you Manik Giroux. Welcome to Access Ideas, Monique. It's great to have you here. I understand you are playing and working in Costa Rica right now. How is La Pura Vida? Pura Vida, which means pure life, is wonderful. Everything is chill and we've been having a really great experience here. That's fantastic. I understand you had some family visiting and you're enjoying the beach as your Instagram photo show with daily mandalas of flowers. Yes, I enjoy making nature art on the beach. It's part of a mindfulness practice that I have. And it's it's fun and it's creative. And uh, this week it's been interesting because other forest therapy guides have been, we've been tagging each other and, you know, encouraging each other to try to... Um, approach these mandalas in different ways. So mine are always very symmetrical. And uh, one of the guides invited me to try unstructured designs. And it was interesting because it's a little bit of letting go of control to do that. But it's been, yeah, it's been fun to see how those creations are forming. And it's been fun to work with other guides and share our, our results on Instagram. It's beautiful. I love looking at Thank the photos. You. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today was to talk about forest therapy. Some people might know it as forest bathing from Japan, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and how it helps you to help clients slow down and ground themselves literally, figuratively, helping to feel calm and importantly, reconnecting with nature and with themselves. Thank you, Yana. It's It's been a wonderful practice for my own healing. And I did the training 
in order to help um, manage my own anxiety. And I'll, I'll never forget my first forest therapy walk and how by the end of it, I was in tears. It was a very powerful and a very emotional experience. And I think what we're seeing is, and this was early in the pandemic, and even since the pandemic, what we're seeing is people have become very disconnected from nature and from themselves. We spend 90% of our time indoors. And the practice of forest therapy helps us not only connect with nature, but reconnect with ourselves. And in reconnecting with ourselves, we're better able to connect with others. And there's this ripple effect that happens as you start to deepen in this practice. So it is all about slowing down and dropping into your parasympathetic nervous system and being able to hear your inner voice and notice your intuition. And then you're able to use your intuition as a guide in making really good decisions in your life. This is something I find inspiring, even if I don't call it forest therapy. I've always found going into nature and exploring natural spaces, appreciating trees to be very calming and soothing. And I understand this is part of your overall vision, part of something called flourishment, which is really dedicated to living a fulfilling, meaningful, and satisfying life with a sense of purpose, balance, and well-being in one's physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual self. A link to this site for listeners. I, I hope everybody takes a look because you've got some great insights and, and photos and, and background on there. Maybe talk a little bit about how you came to that vision and what it means to you when you're trying to convey this to somebody who might be new to this idea. Mm -hmm. When I was thinking about my business and a business name, the word nourishment kept coming up for me. And I was thinking about the word nourishment is feeding your body. To me, the word flourishment is feeding your soul. So I like to say, nourish the soul and flourish in life. And that's really where the name came from. And to me, flourishment means living a fulfilling, meaningful life with a sense of purpose, balance, and overall well-being. And this has not always been your business. You have a very distinguished 30 years in financial services and not-for-profit as an executive. And then you retired and you traded in your possessions and your home to pursue a slower-paced, minimalistic, nomadic lifestyle. Now, for many listeners, this is probably a fantasy. I think this sounds quite appealing to most of us. And yet, I'm sure you've heard from many people where you've shared your story. This isn't seemingly accessible or people might think of it as something out of reach. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to that decision and where it's taken you even? Well, it's been a long journey, I would say. It's been about a decade leading up to where I am today. So this did not happen overnight. Um, I had a career that... I loved and was thriving in. But in 2019, my daughter and I went to Bali for a 10-day wellness retreat where we did meditation and yoga every day. 
And by the end of that retreat, I realized that I could take a deep breath. And I didn't really know until that moment that I was carrying anxiety in my body every single day. And it wasn't until I could take a deep breath that I realized that for my entire career, I had pain in my chest from anxiety and I just kind of ignored it. You know, it was just this pace of life. And I made a decision that I would find a way to live my life and be able to breathe deeply and have peace of mind. I wanted to feel calm. And that started a journey of my own healing. And a lot of the practices that I studied were really just about healing myself. And I started with restorative yoga teacher training. I did yoga nidra teacher training, meditation teacher training, and that led to forest therapy. And after forest therapy, I became a Reiki healer and now a Reiki master. And so it really was quite a departure from working at a bank. And I was still at the bank when I was learning and healing. And I just reached a point where I felt like I was being called to do other work. And I remember a conversation with my boss at the time saying, I I don't even know what I'm going to do next. I don't have a clear vision of what that is. I just know in my heart, it's time to move on. And so, you know, I decided to take an early retirement. And what I find really interesting is, you know, when you have a job, like a traditional job, it's easy to define that. You know, I'm a VP at a bank. Everyone knows what that means and what that is. Today, I can't really describe in a nutshell what I do. (laughs) (laughs) I work on all kinds of different things. Every day is different, but I'm really enjoying the journey and meeting people like you, Yana, and having different conversations every day with people who are reaching out for support, you know, for forest therapy or Reiki sessions. And it's been, like I said, very much a departure from what I used to do. Uh, But my goal of being able to breathe deeply and live an anxiety-free life has, you know, I'm living that now and I'm grateful for it every single day. I was re-listening to your conversation on Becoming Your Best Version podcast with Maria Leonard Olson. And you said something that I wrote down, which was, anxiety is an early warning system. And I think some of us may have heard this or something that sounds like this, but I'd like you to expand on it because this is something you yourself experienced and then you did something about it. You'd feel anxiety and just repress it or figure you've got to live with it. You actually changed, transformed your life. What are some of the signs of anxiety that people may overlook, those early warning signs that people might dismiss and say, oh, I can't do anything about that. That's just modern life. They might not take it seriously. I think anxiety can show itself in different ways for different people. From my personal experience, it was this tightening in my chest. And now that I know 
what that is, as soon as I start to have that like, like butterflies in the chest kind of tightening feeling, it gets my attention and I stop whatever I'm doing to try to look at my life to see what is this about. And it goes to awareness of your thoughts. It goes to really needing to slow down to be able to hear that inner voice. And I think because we live fast-paced lives and we go, 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 and we have our daily routines and we just aren't really thinking about how we're feeling, we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And I think that by ignoring that anxiety or that inner voice that's trying to tell you, hello, look at me, something's happening, something's not right here. You know, you're, you're living a life out of alignment. And that can, over time, cause disease or illness. It manifests itself in different ways. And is that idea of the life out of alignment, is that something, when you look back, were you open to that concept? Or do you think at one point in your career, if somebody had said your life is out of alignment, you would have dismissed that as, well, that's, that's immaterial or that doesn't make sense. How can people start to approach this idea of alignment when most of conventional culture, corporate life, much of our world is reinforcing things that aren't leading to our alignment, for lack of a better way of putting it? Yeah, I think it's when I go back to when I started this whole journey, when I first started to realize my life was out of alignment, it was again, it goes back to that disconnection to self. And it was a very, very simple activity of making my happy list. What are the things that bring joy in my life? And when I, I wrote about five or six things down, and they were very simple, you know, Blue Rodeo, anyone who knows me knows I love Blue Rodeo. I wasn't listening to their music anymore. So music oh, was a big part of like, I listen to Blue Rodeo makes me happy. I go for a hike in the woods, it makes me happy. I spend time with my friends, it makes me happy. I wasn't doing any of those things anymore. Mm-hmm. And just the awareness of what are the things that bring joy to your life and remembering what those things are because we forget, we, we get busy. You know, sometimes we have kids, we don't have time for ourselves. And so this goes back to the nourishing the soul. What are those little things that bring joy into your heart? Make your happy list and start making time for those things in your life. And I think what what starts to happen is your energy starts to shift and you start to bring in more of that joy into your life. It really is a game changer when it's an intentional way of living. So as opposed to just being on autopilot every day, you're, you're being more mindful about how you're spending your time and how you're filling your cup. What are those things that fill your cup? And making sure you're making that a priority. That's kind of like that was the beginning of it for me. Yeah. Leaning into things that you knew felt good and they were replenishing yeah. and regenerating and they weren't. Mm-hmm. And, and you'd notice the absence clearly. But one of the other ideas that you shared and certainly a feeling that you've you've articulated or you've written about 
is this idea of finding opportunity as it arises versus making plans. And as somebody who's worked in corporate life, I know exactly what it's like to be structured and methodical and organized and really pride yourself on your ability to check all those checklist items off and then some. But what I find so refreshing in what you've shared is the idea that you can still find opportunities to replenish and find joy and align yourself even when things don't go to plan. So for example, you had been in Slovenia, I believe, where you had sprained your ankle and you had noted to yourself, oh, I'd really like a chance to slow down and relax. (laughs) And you really did slow down and relax. And I laughed when I saw this. And I don't mean to be mean because spraining your ankle is horrible and I'm sure it was not comfortable. But just the way that you reframed that experience as, well, I did kind of get what I wished for. And (laughs) that was such a inspiring post because I thought, oh, I I would be just that way if if I were in that situation. No matter how idealistic I felt about my time in a place, I would lean in toward (laughs) planning and structure probably too much for my own good. So let me talk a little bit about that learning and I'm sure it's a lesson that you keep learning. If I know anything about myself, I certainly keep learning it. Maybe share a little bit about that. It is, you know what, I can look back and laugh now. But at the time, it we were six weeks into our digital nomad life. And we had been in the UK and we were so busy. Every week we were moving to a different location. There was a rail strike. We got kind of swept up in that. We had... Two of our girls meet us for uh, Canadian Thanksgiving in London, and we were walking. And and so we put the girls on their flight back to Canada, and we got on a flight a few hours later to go to Croatia. And the plan was to spend a few days in Croatia and then visit friends in Slovenia for a weekend. And my partner, Andrew, asked me what I wanted to do, and I said, I don't know, but I don't want to walk because I was so tired and I was kind of in a bad mood. I'll be honest. There was a bit of negative energy, which is unusual for me. So it was kind of an odd, the whole thing was very odd. And I had hired a guide to take me into the forest because I thought I need to be with some trees. I need to decompress and just have some slow time in the forest And while I was in the forest, it was so strange because I had this little voice in the back of my mind that kept telling me, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And at one point, the guide said, do you want to keep going? And we had a lovely walk, but it was this weird voice that I was ignoring. And so he asked me if I wanted to turn back or keep going. I said, no, I think we should turn back. And as we were making our way back, I stepped on a pine cone and rolled, my foot rolled on it, and I broke my ankle. So here we are up in the mountains with a broken bone, and I knew this was going to be a big thing, a big deal to get off this mountain. So it was a whole rescue, mountain rescue team came and 
I ended up in the hospital and they put on a cast. But the moral of the story for me is listen to your intuition. My ego was telling me, why are you feeling scared? You've hiked Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> this is, you know, it wasn't a big mountain. This little, where I actually broke my ankle was just like a, a tiny little decline. It made no sense. Mm -hmm. But my intuition was warning me and I was ignoring it. So that was a huge learning experience for me. And it, to me, it was validating that you have this intuition. You can choose to listen to it or ignore it. And what I love about the story is, as you know, I've shared it in, in a blog. And someone just this week sent me a note to say thank you for sharing that story because she had had an injury and she was skiing and she was starting to have pain and she was going to ignore it, which is what she would normally do. And she remembered my experience and she stopped and she got off the mountain and called it a day. And she said, I know if I had kept going, I would have injured myself. And she has a huge walk plan where she's going to be hiking across the, the UK. And this is a big deal for her. She wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, that big trip. So this is why I share my stories and my experiences because I think it, you know, they can help other people. But that was a big lesson learned for me. And there were many other lessons with that injury <laughs> along the way, like asking for help. And, you know, I really had to depend on other people and my partner in particular, and I'm not good at asking for help. And so that really deepened our relationship because we learned a lot about each other through that experience. Wow. Well, one of the the other reasons I love that story, I mean, again, I hadn't even, I thought it sprained, but broken ankle is even more of a, a long rest, is thinking about how do we link embodied movement and practice to very practical and desirable outcomes like not getting injured. Now, so often when we talk about meditation or yoga or mindfulness, especially in the beginning when people are new to it, I find we tend to separate it from everyday life. Like, now I'm going to meditate. That's my meditation time. Or now I'm going to practice yoga. That's my yoga time. But in my opinion, in my experience, what has been so valuable about these practices is what they give to us in our every waking moment, in our awareness of our body. So, when I think about embodied practice, there's more than one meaning to that, I'm sure. But what I feel is so helpful and practical is learning to tune into small sensations and understand that that is intuition you can trust, but you can follow that. And what I saw in that story was you had again learned oh, I have to trust my intuition. I have to listen to these little signals. And, it, it, you know, when I laugh, it's not so much that, oh, ha, ha, it happened, but more just I could relate because I thought that is so <laughs> me. I would kind of push those feelings away typically. But I do find that coming back into our bodies when we're going through conflict internally, especially, and sussing out what is exactly going on? What am I feeling? What are the, the two opposing pieces? That is so critical. And I think that's 
core to a lot of what you're living and exemplifying and teaching as what I what I can see is you're you're trying to inform your clients and the people who read your stories, your blog about the reality of the very tangible benefits of these practices and these experiences. It's not an escapist fantasy to to do things like forest bathing or yoga nidra or yoga. Not to say that everybody believes that, but it, it's very much grounded and rooted in our real experience. And what I'm curious about is, do you think that was something that always made sense to you? Or do you think it took you many experiences like breaking your ankle where you, you came to trust your intuition and you came to see embodied practice as being so closely linked to how you live your every moment? Uh, that is such a great question. Uh, I think it's it's a little bit of both. I, I come from a very long line of very intuitive women. So my grandmother, my mother, my sister and I, we know when something's happening to one of us, we just feel it. So from an intuition, from that perspective, I've always had that awareness. But being able to apply it in my own life, I don't know why we get into this rhythm of life. I think that there's an expectation that we're you know, going to go to work and that looks a certain way and we're going to you know, commute into the office and we're going to do our nine to five job. And we're, I think for so much of my life, I did that purely on autopilot. And when I talk about being disconnected, that's what I mean. When I started really embodying these practices, that's when this intuitive voice came back. But in throughout my entire way of being. And that's probably why I felt that it was time to leave the corporate environment. I think if I had figured this out earlier in my career, I might have stayed in corporate longer than I did. I think I'd love to uh, work with the younger generation to have this kind of an awareness so that they can still do whatever kind of work that they want to do, but still stay true to themselves and have that inner awareness. Oftentimes, when I use the word embodied, I think of it in a little bit of a different way. I think about how we learn lessons uh, along the way that open up our awareness. And then we can choose to let that change how we view the world. And that becomes an embodiment. Or we can just keep going the way we've always been going. When I think about the word embody, I think about embodying these new beliefs, these new worldviews, these new, you know, I, I, I like to refer to it as new eyes and new ways of seeing life and experiencing life. And actually, I'm working on a book that has this unfolding of wisdom that I've learned through teachers and mentors. And that's where I really realized this embodiment piece. You know, your awareness grows and expands, and you embody that into your life and way of being. Mm-hmm. It becomes a part of you. And in a way that you can explain it as well, and you can notice it, another post you had recently on Instagram was quite vulnerable. You were talking about getting ready to submit a book proposal, 
and having mixed emotions and doubts and fear and questioning things and then noticing that's an emotional state I haven't actually felt for a long time because it's no longer the norm. And you had to take a step back and remind yourself why you're writing the book in the first place. It's not to go back to old habits or or cling to some old structure. It's quite different. But you have that awareness now. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that in terms of balancing out, pushing out of your comfort zone. So trying new things, going to new places, but then revisiting those embodied insights and beliefs and understandings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the big shift in me has been the difference is, you know, you talked about spreadsheets and detailed plans. When I worked at the bank, the last role I had was the head of corporate events, where we had contingency plans for contingency plans, and everything (laughs) was mapped out to every possible detail. So to leave that world to become a digital nomad and not really knowing where we were going to live, because we don't have a house, and trusting. You know, my two words for 2023 are trust and surrender. And it means believing that the universe has your back and opportunities will unfold as they're meant to. I really do feel that I'm I'm being guided. So the big shift for me has been trying to control everything and have a detailed plan for where we're going to be and when and you know, all our flights and accommodations and everything figured out. It's it's actually kind of funny. When you look at the schedule, I did a spreadsheet for our parents before we left in August. And it was a schedule from September to April 1st. And pretty much every single thing on that schedule has changed. And so what we've learned is to not get too far ahead of ourselves. It's very much a letting go, which is, has been very difficult for me because it's not in my nature. My family will tell you I'm a control freak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not anymore because I've had to let that go and trust. And it's something I need to keep working on. It doesn't, you know, for, for all of us, life is all about lessons learned and evolving and Exactly. You're in good company. I used to be an event <laughs> planner as well. And I actually took mm-hmm. that off my resume because I was too good in the sense that it was something I got asked to do more and more. And yet I noticed the cost always outweighed the benefit. So I would get all kinds of congratulations. That was the best event ever. So perfectly organized. You know, you're the first person that scheduled bathroom breaks for the speaker, things like that, like all the tiny minutiae. But I wasn't enjoying it enough to feel like the stress was worth it. So I relate. (laughs) I relate. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have the utmost respect for event planners. (laughs) There was an article just this week about how it's the third most stressful job. I believe um, it. Of all the jobs. Uh, It was was an article on LinkedIn. You know, the team that I used to manage, I just have so much respect for what they do because it is, you know, that's saying the devil's in the details. Um, Yeah, and like I said, it's been quite the shift moving from that kind of work to what I'm doing now. Do you feel that you can take those 
learnings and skills and apply them very differently now, though, to your own benefit in a way that is aligned to what you want? Yeah, and I pick and choose what I work on and what I spend my time on or what I would say, what I invest my energy in now. I do work on a startup with my sister-in-law that is I'm passionate about because it makes an impact on the climate. It's called Homes to Zero. And I'm talking to a few young women who are launching a startup that's all around well-being in the corporate sector. So I like that I can still use these skills, but I'm very selective about where I'm putting my energy and also how much of my time I'm committing to these things. So I kind of keep it in a box and because it could easily become what I spend every single day doing. Um, so right now, Tuesday is my day for working on those types of projects. I'd love to hear more about your book and about writing your story and sharing your insights with others. I know this is this is maybe a vulnerable space still for you because you're figuring out how you want to do it. But maybe tell your story about how the book and all the chapter titles came to you. This is such a cool background story. I, I'd love you to tell that. Oh, sure. It... Um... I downloaded this book on the fifth day of a 10-day silent Buddhist Vipassana. Now, Vipassana is a silent retreat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was deep into a meditation when this book downloaded, and it's very hard to explain how that happened, but it just appeared in my mind, the entire book, uh, the 12 chapters, the title of every chapter, the title of the book. And... I was so excited because I couldn't wait to start working on this book. And when I, I, I told the monk that was running this retreat, and he said, that's great. You can start thinking about your book on Sunday when the retreat was over. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a huge practice in trying to stay focused in the meditation for the rest of the retreat because I was so excited about starting to write this book. And it really is the last 10 years of my life. And the mentors and guides that I've learned from over over those last 10 years. And some of those guides are um, trees. Mm -hmm. And some of those guides are people on the other side. And it ends with the monk, Bonte, because he taught us that you are your own teacher. And when you have questions, ask your intuition, because you always know. You know, you know the answers. And so every chapter is, you know, a lesson learned along the way. There's a lot of travel. It's a bit of a travel memoir as well, because there's obviously Bali, what happened in Bali is, is in the book. And what I learned from the Balinese Hindu, the people of Peru and the Incans, as well as, oh, the Maasai. Yeah, oh, the, the Maasai. We went to yeah. a Maasai village and had a huge experience there about what really matters in life mm -hmm. and what really brings us joy. Yeah, that happened in 2015. So it's a bit of a travel memoir. It's a bit of a um, spiritual journey, and it ends with, you are your own teacher. You mentioned Vipassana meditation. Is that the form of meditation that you tend to prefer or do you still experiment with different styles and modalities? 
The style of meditation in this particular vipassana is called TWIM. It's Tranquil Wisdom Insight Meditation. And it's a form of metta, M-E-T-T-A, or it's also known as loving kindness. That's right. And it's a beautiful practice because you fill yourself up with joy. You fill your heart with joy. And the beginning of the Vipassana, you spend the first few days, to me it was almost like a life review of all the beautiful things I've experienced in my life. And I was just radiating joy after the second and third day. And once you have this feeling in your heart, then you radiate that joy to others. And as you go deeper into this feeling, your meditation practice deepens and the monk gives you instructions on what to focus your meditation on because it continues to, to evolve. And it was the first time I experienced being in, the, in a state of equanimity. And in meditation, equanimity, I would describe it as just being in a place of complete calm. And to me, it felt a little bit like, you know, the old TVs and when they were on the, on the between channels and there was like that static. It's like this gray, there's, there isn't a noise of static, but it's just this void of nothingness. And I felt so much relief to have no thoughts. There was nothing. Silence, peace, calm. It's just the most beautiful place to be. And I could only hold it for a few minutes at a time. And that's about as far as I went into the Vipassana. I've made a commitment to myself to do one at least once a year. Because it's hard to, to find the space to be completely silent for 10 days. Yeah. I'd love for you to comment, though, too, on Yoga Nidra, because mm-hmm. this is becoming a little bit more popular. It's associated with meditation. It's been promoted on a very popular podcast, the Huberman Lab podcast. But he talks about it more as a prescription for sleep, which it can be used as. I think that's legitimate. But you've talked about it as almost like inside yoga or yoga for the inside. And I think you had had experience with restorative yoga and then you you got into yoga nidra. Can you talk a little bit more about that and as a yoga practitioner, what yoga nidra means to you or how others might benefit from it? It is very good for sleep. That is true. I do call it yoga for the inside because you're actually laying in a very comfortable position. A true yoga nidra session usually takes at least 45 minutes. So if you Mm -hmm. see some, there's lots of great podcasts that are yoga nidra. You could call it a meditation or relaxation, visualization. But a true yoga nidra session will be at least 45 minutes to get into this deep state of relaxation. And it's basically getting you to the state that you're in between being awake and being asleep. And we do that through a series of guided visualizations and meditations. And each one goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And when you get to the end, we place what we call a senkalpa. And a senkalpa is your intention. So if you want to feel calm in your life or in your heart, 
that could be your intention that you set. When you're in this very, very deep state of relaxation and you set that intention, it's very effective. So it helps you, again, it gets you into that parasympathetic um, state that we also, with forest therapy, kind of achieve. But it's in your bed. <laughs> so when I, um, during the pandemic, I did a few Zoom yoga nidra sessions with people. I liked doing them in the evenings, and I would invite people to get comfortable in their pajamas, get in their beds, you know, keep your cameras off, um, but just listen to my voice. And if they fall asleep, they can just, you know, turn their cameras off when um, when they get back up in the morning, just because I'll... I'll I disconnect the call at the end of it because I'd say about half of them are in a deep sleep by the time the, uh, the session is over. So it's a beautiful mm. practice. Restorative yoga is more, you would go to a yoga studio to do. There are lots of props involved and it's all about getting into these very comfortable poses and holding those poses. So there's more body movement involved, but it's very slow and it's all about comfort and coziness. You're using bolsters and blankets and pillows and blocks to just have, you know, no pressure points anywhere on your body, just being completely relaxed poses. So it's it's quite different and the intention is quite different from yoga nidra. Mm-hmm. It's more uh, as well, you're, you are getting into specific poses for maybe 15 or 20 minutes at a time. I love restorative yoga, but uh, yoga nidra is its own special, wonderful practice. So I highly encourage both, especially if you're new to yoga. It's very accessible, <laughs> I would mm-hmm. say. And, and it is very different from, and this is why I say it's yoga for the inside, because if you've never done it before, you know, the first time I was doing these Zoom sessions during the pandemic, people would come with their mats and their, you know, yoga outfits and ready to, you know do yoga. And so I would try to provide as much of a description about getting ready before the session for that reason. But keep in mind, at the time when I started learning these practices, I had severe insomnia. That's right. And and anxiety. And I found yoga nidra very helpful for my sleep. So there's a very practical application there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What are you excited to learn more about? Is there a new practice or a new teacher that you want to read more of or meet? Is there something you want a skill? Yeah, I think at the moment I am excited about sharing what I've learned with more people. And this summer I've been invited to support a women's retreat I'm lining up a number of forest therapy walks and I'm really looking forward to connecting with people in that way. I'm also a mentor and an instructor for new forest therapy students and there's a training happening at the end of July. So I really love being with people, getting to know them and hearing their stories and sharing my knowledge and hopefully helping them along the, along their journey in whatever way I can. I also continue to have some private Reiki clients on a regular basis. So I fit those into my weekly schedule as well. 
And you're quite generous with your time. I mean, you offer 30-minute oh. increments. I, I want to highlight this for anyone listening who wants to work with Monique. You have open conversations with people who are curious to learn more. Who would make a good client or who should reach out to you? Uh, is there a topic that you've been getting a lot of questions on recently? Or is, is there something that you feel especially passionate about teaching? Hmm. There are some themes around the people that are coming forward on reaching out to me. One is, how do I find my inner voice? You know, I hear you talking about your intuition and your inner voice. I don't know what that is. And I love having those conversations because it really does start with remembering, remembering the things that bring you into your flow state mm-hmm. and then doing those things and then talking about the results. How did you feel? How did you feel before? How did you feel after? I have folks that reach out about starting a meditation practice and not knowing where to start. And there's one woman I'm working with that... Um, is new to meditation is at the very beginning of a bit of a transformational journey for herself. And um, she was an alcoholic and quit drinking and now has all this clarity that she has never experienced before. So she's really excited about life. And we're starting with just, let's create your meditation space. Where are you, do you want to be every day? A place that's so inviting, you look forward to going and being in this comfortable spot and you know some kind of beginner meditations and just talking about how it's going and what are the things that may be distracting or pulling her attention. And it's just super fun. So I think, you know, like I said, it's hard to put what I do in a box. And that's why I like to have these conversations with people. First of all, I love meeting people and hearing their stories. I just love these conversations and whether they, you know, lead to a relationship, a longer-term relationship or not, I still just really enjoy getting to know people and chatting about their experiences. So, and a lot of people have never had Reiki and they're curious about Reiki. So it really is a conversation that is a little bit about who they are, where they might be struggling or where they are in their journey and, and how I might be able to support them because it might be a combination of different things. That's also in people who may want to have a forest therapy walk or a group event. For me, it's easier to have a conversation with them to talk about their group location, their schedule, you know, like a half hour. Mm-hmm. We can we can map something out together. Mm-hmm. Is there anything I have not asked you that you'd like to talk about or bring up? You've asked some amazing questions. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. I guess the only other thing, you know, just as far as lessons learned along the way is, you know, I think about the before and the after, and I talk about the autopilot. I think for people who want to change their lives in some way, but they're not sure how, you know, it's really to start small and to make shifts in their daily habits. I think if you keep doing the same thing every day, that is going, that's your future because mm-hmm. every day becomes tomorrow and next month and next year. And so if you want to change the direction that your life is going, you need to change your daily habits or your daily routine. And that might sound like a simple thing to do, 
And sometimes it is. It's just starting small. It might be starting a, a new habit or or hobbies or getting out and meeting new people that you wouldn't normally hang out with or just reconnecting with the things that you love that you've you know you used to do and for some reason you've stopped doing so I really invite people to reconnect with their joy and to start trying new things every day I couldn't agree more that is excellent advice and there's there's no drawbacks because if you know what you like or you remember what you like that you don't do anymore that's a great place to to start yeah Thank you so much, Wendy. This has been a lovely conversation. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Super fun. I feel very honored to be part of your podcast. If you love Access Ideas, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review us on Podchaser via the link in our show notes or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about the podcast too. Until next time, thanks for listening to Access Ideas.